This morning we're going to be teaching through the Psalms of Lament. The Psalms of Lament are songs and poems in which the psalmist cries out to God in times of deep distress and despair. In fact, in Psalms of Lament, the psalmist will often ask God for intervention to deliver him from everything from suffering to sorrow to times of great loss and failures and even attacks against their enemies. These petitions often give way to expressions of trust in God to act in the psalmist's favor, leading to often hope and joy. And you should know this about these certain psalms. There are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. In fact, estimate around 60 of the 150. That's around 40%. Some people would say 60% of the psalms are psalms of lament. And I'm going to be honest. I believe there should be more room in light of that, more room for lament in the church. I think back to my youth group days and maybe all those emos and goths had a good idea at that time, okay? Maybe there was something to that. But seriously, there is a certain orientation toward triumph and success and nothing but that message in the average American Christian church. And that was not as visible if you look back at the church and church history or even at the global church. In fact, if you even just look at the top 10 K-Love songs, you'll see some of them on the screens right here. They're going to be majority, nothing but a lot of triumph and success. Brighter days for God is with us. The God of possible, me on your mind, the healing, all titles and lyrics, all again showing and sharing that where out of the top 10, there was one of 10 that could have possibly been a lament, uh, the song See Me Through It. But even that was used with very vague lyrics, very opposite of what you're going to see in Psalms of Lament. Nothing like you'll see in our text, which, let me remind you, was their worship songs. I believe that the church should have more room for lament, um, and even in conviction of that, that I even, for you all, scheduled over the year of 2023 for us to go over the book of Lamentations, okay? We're going to start 2023 in the book of Lamentations. Most churches, you're going to go, you know, January 1st, going to be like, new year, new you. We're going to be like, January 1st, that GCC, new year, time to despair, okay? That's what we're going to enter into. We're going to pass out ashes and sackcloth when you walk in. But on a more serious note, we really do need to understand this role in not only the church, but individually our lives. And, and no, this is not to say that the church should not have joy, as we're going to see here, in the midst of suffering. Or the reminder that we do have triumph in the gospel with not only Jesus' resurrection, but with his return. But as we'll learn this morning, lament is a biblical liturgical response to the same realities of suffering 
And it engages God in the context of the pain and trouble that we all see, that we all face, that we all go through with some certain reminders. And church, it's those reminders that differentiates how us as Christians view suffering rather than the world. Who we're going to in the midst of pain and suffering. Who we're suffering with. In fact, you'll see this basic structure for the Psalms of Lament. It's on the screens to the left, right of me. You'll see an address to God. You'll see a description of complaint. You'll see a request for God's help. And you'll see an expression of trust in the Lord. These Psalms will fall into the broad categories of individual and some in community-type contexts. Sometimes they're both, but all of them will meet these basic structures. And so let's study a few this morning and see how we are to respond. First, Psalm 12. This is written by David. We're not going to spend too much time in this one, so we can really hit Psalm 42. Psalm 12, again, written by David, starting off with verse 1. God's word says this. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. You see here David crying out for salvation, for a noticed void for those who are around him that are supposed to be godly and faithful to the Lord. And in place of those people are people, as we'll see going into verse 2, people who are hypocritical. It says, verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? So you see here that instead of faithful and godly people, David laments along with others that everyone around them lies. Everyone around them seem insincere, has a double heart. That means that they are fake, manipulating others for gain. A tongue, he says, that makes great boasts. The sin of pride is as evident as ever, even before here. And part of those great boasts is a proclamation that you see and read in verse 4 that they will rise and conquer with such lies and with such pride. Asking, who can tell us what to do? And David is lamenting this. Verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Of course, as we see throughout the scriptures, sadly, those who suffer with such prideful, hypocritical, deceitful people around are the poor and needy. They are who suffer the most. They suffer the most when the majority of people are double-hearted, are prideful, lying, and manipulative. And church, can I please remind you, that is something that we should lament. 
You know how often Jesus talked about ministry to those who are poor and needy. And those are the ones who are taken advantage of the most when you have those with such pride and power around them. And, and know this. David, along with those who is repeating this, singing this with him, this was sung, pray, praying this, they are lamenting this type of world around them. And, and as many of you guys do know, I am typically a half cup full type of guy. I am. But this is why I understand at certain times where people around us, even some of you, you look around, you see certain things, you hear certain things, things that are going on in the world, maybe in politics, things that are going, around, going on at your schools or in your jobs or even from churches. Certain injustices, attacks against God's holiness, against his Imago Dei. And I understand and we should all understand why there is so much heartbrokenness. Why we should have room for lament. To cry out for salvation, as verse 1 says, save us, O Lord. The faithful are gone, and we have nothing but deceptive liars around us. Who else do we go to? But notice how there's still a request for God's help and a trust in him in the midst of this lament. He says, God will arise. God, he can give us safety. And of course, that safety looks different for every situation. But even when we are in physical harm's way, we can still trust that God will arise over enemies and oppressors and that he provides a place of safe refuge. Look at verse 6 where in comparison to the double-hearted, prideful words of people around them, Look at how David describes now the words of the Lord, who we are to trust in. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Because so much of this psalm of lament here, specifically, deals with words. This psalm doesn't just generally express a trust in God, but as it says here, a trust in God's specific words. It says here that God's words are pure, refined, and purified in comparison to what we see in the previous verses, the lies of man. And it should show us that God can be trusted in his promises. Not just any promise, but God making forever promises that he both makes and keeps with us. I know many of you know the difference between having someone you can trust with their word and someone that you cannot trust. God is that one who you can always. 
misplaced trust. Another thing that sticks out here, I can't help but to ask, how do we biblically lament without sinfully grumbling or becoming bitter? Whereas we see here, verse 5 through 7, as David does, we do that because we go to God in the first place. We're not going to just others. We're not going to go and post online our complaints and bitterness. And that's not to say that there's not a place for others in our laments. After all, this happens to be a community lament, not just David individually. This is one that his surrounding people are also repeating and feeling. Notice in this psalm, the us, the we's, and even what we will do as a church this morning in prayer. We do that together. But even that community as shown in these lament psalms, they're requesting God's help and they're still expressing a trust in God. Again, both individually and as a community. And we need to do this together more often. In fact, if you start praying through the psalms regularly, you'll start to see that sometimes they don't just seem to fit your life. Right? You're reading this like, I don't feel like somebody's out to actually kill me. Like they're crying out right now. But as you learn more about the practice of psalm praying, you realize that the whole point of such practice was to put us amongst the congregation of the saints, all who had come before, and those who are around the world that are facing the things that we read in the laments. Maybe you're not being pursued by enemies of every side, but what about the Christians in Ukraine or persecuted countries? This again mends our hearts together. What about the mom of four dealing with a cancer diagnosis? It mends our hearts together you begin to realize that psalm praying is a participation in the prayer life of the church, both historic and global. Lament is not only for the suffering, it's community with the suffering. We love our neighbor when we allow their experience of pain to become the substance of our own prayer. This, after all, is what Jesus did for us. Every prayer of lament which we offer is another amen. I agree. I agree. Verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Most psalms of lament end on the expression of trust in the Lord. We saw that in verses 5 through 7. And said this one happens to serve as a reminder that wicked are still around that their sin and evil continue to be exalted among those around them. And sometimes those evils are passed down for generations to come. But we still have hope and trust in God. Now, I want to move on to our next psalm of lament. This one has a bit more instructions to help us in our very own laments. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. This one is written by 
the sons of Korah, which were a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing. In fact, 2 Chronicles 20.19 says that the, 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 the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with very loud voices. Their dad, Korah, they're the sons of Korah, their dad, he led a rebellion of 250 community leaders against Moses during the wilderness days of the Exodus. You see this and can read about it in number 16. When he did this, God judged him and his leaders and they all died, but the sons of him remained and became followers of the one true God, as it says in Numbers 26. And because they were so grateful for this mercy, that they became notable in Israel for praising God and started writing songs about it. How cool is that? And this is one such song. The heading here also implies that this psalm was probably used in public worship, and again, it was sung. That's one part of what we said in our first sermon in Psalm 1 to kick off this series, that we must remember the psalms are songs. They are poems. They're written to awake and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. And our emotions are massively important, as Connor shared a few weeks ago. So chapter 42, verse 1, this psalm of lament reads as this. Verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See here, this music instructor laments over their soul thirsting for the living God. Similar and in comparison to a deer panting for water. In fact, one of the very first hymns I remember singing at the church I got saved at was based off this. My soul longs for you, God, he says. To be in your presence again, to hear from you. When can I see you? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I believe this verse right here shows the extent of his discouragement and his depression. He says, I can't eat. I cry all day and night. And in the midst of these feelings, I have people around me questioning my God, who as it says in verse 1 and 2, I long for. And let me remind you, church, there is a place for this type of lament in the Christian's life and church. You shouldn't feel bad or guilty if you're going through such a hard season where your tears is your food all day and night. It's important to know and believe this. Some of the toughest things that people go through deserve lament. Certain family situations. Hurt and hypocrisy is described in Psalm 12. Certain injustices and oppression, grievous sins, suffering, depression. Sometimes they're laments that the whole world is witnessing. Sometimes it's specific to a church. There's also a time and a need for professional help in certain seasons, again, of depression and suffering. There's counsel that's going to go beyond the instructions I will give, which if you're going through, please reach out. We'd love to help you take steps 
and provide certain resources. But as all of us will go through, what do we do when we're in these seasons, in the times, in the midst of suffering and lamenting? Well, he says several things. First off, we're to do this. As you see in verse 4, we are to remember past experiences with the Lord. Look at verse 4. These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. In the midst of lament, this is very important, we must remember the Lord. He calls past experiences to mind. You see here where the author remembers past corporate worship experiences. That's why in verse 4 he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I'd go and lead them in procession to the house of God, and glad shouts and songs of praise in a multitude, keeping festival. Oh, how I remember that, Lord. The importance. I'm not taking those times lightly. That we remember that was a real transaction with the living God and an encounter with him in corporate worship. And that he uses that to preserve our faith now in the way that you will remember them later. Remember, corporate worship is a real supernatural work of the Lord. As he goes back and remembers his experiences here, not engaging in just pure nostalgia but it's confirming his faith in the midst of turmoil and discouragement by remembering how real God was in those moments and that he still has a relationship with that real Lord. Um, I've referenced this a few times. I know many of you guys had listened to it, but last year, number one Christian per se podcast, but it was actually top five also in just mainstream Apple podcasts was the podcast of uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, as it kind of detailed, uh, gave a chronicle of the timeline of one, at one point, one of the largest churches in America falling. And you hear so often in that podcast, again, the, the spiritual abuse, uh, really hard season time um, that many that went through went, and, and really affected their faith even now after that happened. But I couldn't but help to notice one particular podcast that I had listened to right around that same time that wasn't nearly as popular, where one of the worship bands from that church was talking to a couple people from that church. I mean, and they, they completely walked away from the faith. They attacked. They looked at that time as horrible and really honestly like blamed God out of it and everything else. And this worship band, the, the lead guy of the worship band was talking to these two people about his new album coming out and everything else. And I remember at one point he just stopped and he just says, man, I just can't do this. Like I know that was one of the hardest seasons for my life as well, but I just cannot walk away from that whole thing as horrible it was. And yes, I did need a season of, of really rest and to walk away and really evaluate. But he said, I cannot let that horrible dark season affect what I know of the Lord right now today. He says, I need that zeal back. I can't place people in some of the choices and decisions that they made 
on my God. And I can't just keep on walking with this bitterness and this anger against not just people, but it's really going to the Lord. And he just called these people out and was just like, I don't care what you do. I have to love my Jesus and serve him still. And I remember listening to it. And I'm like, hey, man, not to diminish what people go through. Hard times and times of needed lament. But there's a certain time where you need to go back and remember the Lord and the way he works. Remember that he is good. You cannot stay in that where you need, as this guy said, joy. You need the body and the cup. That God is so much bigger than a horrible circumstance. In fact, he had mentioned this is why on that album that he later made, he put all these hidden kind of references of old classic songs that people would remember from Jesus Loves Me to I'll Fly Away because he wants people to remember the Lord. I love that because it's true. You see, in verse 5, this is going to be the first of three times that you will read some of these specific words. So take note, know its importance. But verse 5, he preaches to himself. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He starts preaching to himself. The psalmist preaches to his own soul and how crucial this is in the fight of faith in those times of lament. We must learn to preach the truth to ourselves. This happens often to me as I pray continuously. I've often said I felt schizophrenic at times because of how often I'm talking to the Lord and sometimes to myself and sometimes I don't know the difference and that sounds bad because I felt I'm not God. But how often I'm talking to myself in certain council situations, certain spur-of-the-moment things, and, and how often I am talking to the Lord. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this verse in his classic book, Spiritual Depression. He says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you, and they bring back the problems of yesterday, and somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment and I will speak to you. Preach to yourself the truths of God. Don't wait for somebody most times they're even pulling away from others. And they don't know exactly what to say. But in your heart and soul, you, from what remembering and knowing of the Lord of the past and having the word before you, can give yourself hope. 
He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Again, going back to the remembrance of the Lord. This was a multi-peaked mountain in the far north of the promised land. One of the great distances from the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, although I feel like I'm this far away from you, I remember you still, God. I remember you. And I will preach the truths of you to myself. Verse 7 and 8. We are to trust in God's sovereign love in the midst of the toughest struggles. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. I, I, when reading this, couldn't but help to think of my beach vacation a month ago. I loved watching like strong, powerful waves knocking down my kids. Okay? I know you may think of that, but it's just amazing the power that they have. How much fun that is to them. But just, it's, it's crazy watching these waves knock them down. Something that can be so peaceful in the ocean, yet so powerful. And that's what he compares this to. The type of pressure he feels in this dark season. Yet he knows as he's being knocked down in these waves, it's God that's in the waves. He says, your waterfalls, your breakers and waves that go over me. And part of you in that way is continual, steadfast love that in the midst of his discouragement he affirms God's sovereign love for him that although it looks and feels like God has forgotten me he even asked that again in the very next verse but he still says I can't stop believing in God the God of steadfast faithful love I can't again this is another expression of trust in God that's common in the Psalms of Lament. And church, this is the difference between those who do not know Christ and those who do. An unbeliever and a believer. Where an unbeliever will continue to complain and don't know exactly who to go to, where to go to. But where the believer should know in their heart of hearts, they need to go to God. And T. Wright says this, a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character, but a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. That instead of giving God the silent treatment or falling into despair, I can't do this anymore, or denial, everything's fine, everything's fine. Lament encourages us to talk to God about our struggles. And it points us to an affirmation that we can trust Him. It is a prayer and pain that leads to trust. And notice how He goes to God in that prayer and song. Next thing, we see Him sing and pray, part B of verse 8. And at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This is what the Psalms consist of. If you don't have a relationship with God, you'll go back to society with your complaints where he wants you to go to him instead. 
We all need to go to God. And it is especially relieving and freeing when we go to Him in song and prayer. Remember, estimate 40 to 60% of the Psalms are laments. We're told to sing the Psalms. That's what Israel did. The world does this. When they are depressed, when they are down, they go to music. But instead of us singing and going to trucks and beer, we go to God. We say, I need you in the midst of this. Listen to what he says in verse 9 and 10, still lamenting, grieving. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Some things he repeats here and we've covered. But on top of the questioning of God forgetting him. There's now more mourning because of oppression. Comparing his enemies taunting to a flesh wound. And so after... He repeats for the second time. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And listen, it doesn't end there quickly. Psalm 43, this is a continuation of Psalm 42. As you'll see, it's even specifically repeated this was always sung together with Psalm 42. And so Psalm 43, verse 1, he says after repeating that, verse 11, for the second time, why are you cast down? Hope in God. I will praise you and remember your salvation. Verse 143 says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. He says, Clear me and defend my cause. Deliver me from the same type of people that David lamented about in Psalm 12, verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He says, I know you're the one that I take refuge in, but I feel rejected. I'm mourning because of the oppression of my enemies. And then he says in verses 3 through 4, and again, in the midst of deep pain, questioning. He says, God, lead me back to you. Not only to you, but to your community. Look at verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill to your dwelling then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy and I will praise you with the lyre oh God my God he says send out your light and truth to lead me in the midst of such mourning and questioning let that light and truth bring me to your dwelling and to your place of community with other worshipers of God do believe there's a more true kind of biblical case that you can't just truly let God do anything, but in a way, he's going to pursue and get you whether you want him to or not. And I love that. 
However, as the psalmist expresses right here, it doesn't feel like that when you're in the midst of such grief. And it's not the language that the son of Korah uses because, again, it's a human feeling of submitting to him and saying, let you. And it's in his light and in darkness, his truth that differentiates from the lies that he's experienced and been hurt by, that he knows will draw him back to God and where else? Worship with a community of believers again. This here is proof of the relationship that he has with God and God not letting him go. You know, on Saturday mornings, my wife Jessica and I will as often as possible try to sleep in as late as we can. But often it's our youngest children, our twins, who are hungry for breakfast and coming and waking us up saying, get a cereal, cook us an omelet. And when that happens, they don't run outside to our neighbors to beg for food. I often just want to throw the pillows at them. They let us sleep. But instead, they come boldly into our room, opening up that door like it's the march of the Roman Empire. And they say, give us some cereal, make us an omelet, please make me a smoothie. And I admit, like I said, I am very tempted to be angry. And at the same time, I also know I should be honored by their requests because in itself, it's proof of the relationship that we have as father, as mother with children. In fact, in the reverse of that situation, as tragically described by Dr. Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life, I've mentioned this illustration before, but Dr. Moore describes going to an orphanage in Russia as though they were in the process of pursuing adoption. He mentioned that the silence from a nursery full of babies was eerie, shocking. That the babies in the cribs never ever cried, not because they never needed anything, but because they had learned that no one cared enough to answer. And so they stopped an entire nursery of orphans. It's children who are confident of the love of a caregiver who cries. And for the Christian, it's our lament when taken to our Father in heaven that is proof of our relationship with God, our connection to a great caregiver, and that he will lead us back to him and to our adopted family, the church. I know all these parents in the room was like, oh man, I feel so bad for yelling at my kid for crying out for me for something the other day. I do the same thing. He says, then I will go to worship. And what word does he use there when he goes? I will go to God, my exceeding joy. Yes, there's joy in a lament. I will praise with music again. Without diminishing the trauma that causes lament, we constantly see in these psalms how we are to go back to God, our exceeding joy, and how he wants to use the church again in our lives. And then for the third and final time, he says in verse 5, you've heard it before, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My God, 
and my salvation. The final thing, final reminder, we are to hope in God and his salvation. He says this three times. He's not surrendering to the emotions of discouragement, but instead he is fighting back. He's fighting to hope in God. And that's why it's a reminder that we should not give up on hope. I know I'll praise you. This miserable season and maybe emotion will pass. Don't be downcast, but look to Jesus. The light will dawn. His external circumstances are oppressing. His internal emotion, he is depressed, he's full of turmoil, but he is doing everything he can to fight for hope. And the really remarkable thing is at the end of this psalm, he's still fighting. He's not yet where he wants to be. There's still a struggle, but there is still hope. Hope, as he says here, in the God of our salvation. The God that made that relationship with him possible by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, the sin that separates us from God, to rise from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and offering a great gift out of his grace, out of his love, out of his mercy. Salvation through his son, Jesus. For us, when we repent and turn from our sin and give our life and have saving faith in Christ, we are restored in the right relationship with the God, not only the God of salvation, but the God that we hope for and have in the midst of such deep pain. A God who listens and will be there for you and those who are going through other pains and have nobody to go to with. And so they do everything to suppress it, medicate it. They do everything to ignore it or to go to the world and the rest of others. And it's never gonna meet the need. But we have what does. Oh, church, do not be ashamed to lament, but hope and trust in God. In a moment here, the band's going to come, and we're going to actually sing a new song based off this specific psalm. The words, as were sung back then, are going to be sung today. And again, it's a song of lament, but it's a reminder, church, for you, for I, that God is still our God and he is our salvation in the midst of such grief and such mourning that maybe some of you are going through right now or have gone through in the past or that you know others are going through. And so church, as the band comes up and as they lead us in this song, I want to encourage you again, it's new. Feel free to join, sing, and worship. Sing as generations have done in the past, this specific song of lament, or maybe it's a time that you want to use to listen, to let those words again seep in that we just studied, or to pray.
But will you listen? Will you sing? Will you cry out these truths and worship? And after that song, you're going to lead us in a time of your own personal prayer for certain things that you feel like you need to lament. You bow down under your heads, close your eyes, and let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for being a father who is there, who is there in the midst of such suffering and mourning, who's there for others around us that is hurting, that we love, we don't know what to do. A God who wants us to go to you, to have community in the midst of that. That's not afraid of the hard things that we will say in the midst of it. That in the end we need to trust in, sing and pray to. God, I pray, Lord, that this will be a time of worship as a reminder that when it does seem like nothing's going our way, we question and wonder why there's so much hurt and we're going through certain things or why others are. Again, we have a God to go to, to trust in. Let us truly worship you knowing these truths right here. We pray this in your name, Jesus.